It might be someone in our parents' generation who just happens to be really healthy and lives to 110 and then gets the benefit of, of, of self-replicating nanomachines that repair their DNA and have AI built in that's smarter than them. You're listening to Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to cryptocurrencies. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. Yeah, so I mean, even if... Um you know, even if there's not the type of decline that uh, that Zihan mentions, I think it's overall good for the U.S. economy. There's a little, there's some decoupling happening. Obviously, the manufacturing, the the really cheap labor, the cheap goods uh, is probably going to have to migrate elsewhere, and that's somewhat happening already. I mean, there's more coming from Vietnam, Bangladesh, because the cost of labor is getting too expensive uh, in China. Um, all the issues with Taiwan. I mean, they're they're building more semiconductor factories in the U.S. now for national security. So. Overall, if there's more of a, you know, more working class jobs, more manufacturing jobs, uh, he's also very bullish on Mexico. Um, you know, so some of the lower cost manufacturing may happen in Mexico and, and come over by, by train. But then there's, there's still overall, it's just good for, it may not be the cheapest anymore because, you know, our cost of labor. But, you know, our middle class has been hollowed out for a long time and, and uh, rental properties are really built on, you know, yeah. you know, the middle class having affordable housing. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think so, like, yeah, for all of those reasons, and also for the reason, like, you know, I, I follow, um, uh, what is that guy's name? He's down in Columbia. Um, uh, man, I can't, I'm drawing a mental blank now. Uh, George Gammon. So I follow George Gammon a little bit on YouTube, and he's got a really interesting, you know, he brings out these whiteboards, and he's talking about why he's sure there's a recession this year and all this stuff, right? Um, I don't agree with everything he says either. But, um, but George Gammon made a really interesting um, point to me when I was talking to him one time, and he was like, he was like, listen, um, like, the dollar is the reserve currency of the world, right? And, and, and it's not going to change. Now, I know there's people predicting the BRICS currency and stuff like that, but, but um, the reason that he doesn't think it's going to change is because um, poor people in Central America, Mexico, um, Africa, have for multiple generations stored their wealth in dollars, Right, um, and you're not going to convince uh, a Colombian farmer who's been hiding dollar bills under his mattress to switch to a Chinese Russian backed currency. Like it's never happening. It's not going to be an issue because for their parents and their parents' parents told them, "You can't trust our currency. You can only trust the dollar." And you know we see this like Panama adopted the dollar because their currency wasn't stable. Belize pegged their currency to the dollar and bought a bunch of treasury bonds. Those things are like interest-free loans from the world to America, right? Like, and those things are happening more and more often. And so the idea that the dollar is going to be, you know, de-pegged, it's going to not be the, I mean, in 90, it went from 90% to 80% of the world's transactions are taking place in dollars. Yeah, that's a reduction, but that's, in the scheme of things, it's still like you, you have to be at like 30% before they depeg the dollar, right? Like yeah. it's, it's kind of go, it's got a long ways to go. So now if you're saying like a hundred years from now, the dollar might not be that, but like if we look at the last reserve currency, which was the British pound sterling, um, it took 150 years 
after the decline of Britain, after Britain was no longer the world superpower, it took 150 years for the dollar to replace the pound sterling. Because Britain declined slowly over a long period of time, and then people were like, oh, we got to do something different. And after World War II, the dollar definitely became the world's reserve currency. Um, but but that was like like 150 years, right, And of decline. And America hasn't started to decline. For all the stuff we talked about earlier, America's in the best position and still gaining relative to the rest of the world. So how, when we're gaining and we haven't even started to decline, we're going to give up that status as the, the reserve currency. It's, it's absurd to even think about that. And as a result of that, I don't think we have to worry about pretty much anything economically, like over the long term. There's going to be blips in the market. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely been a shift for me. I mean, I listen to too much Peter. Every once in a while, I listen to some Peter Schiff, and I get worried. Um, <laughs> Peter Schiff and Harry Depp, man. Like the problem with those guys is they predicted like nineteen out of the last three recessions. <laughs> like they just they just are constantly predicting recessions, and they're right some of the time. And like I said, Peter's a friend. Peter's not a friend of mine, but I've, I've listened to him a lot, and and Harry is actually a friend of mine. These guys, like, like they're very smart. They get stuff right. I mean, Harry came on my show, the old-fashioned real estate show once, and predicted that there would be a massive decline in March of 2020 in the economy. In August of 2019, he predicted that. And he said, I don't know what it's going to be. It could be a pandemic or something. Like, that's how smart this guy. I mean, sometimes he's just freakishly right. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know. Like, that's weird, right? Like, I don't even understand how you can do that. But, like, the point is still... Like, they have a default position towards a contrarian worldview that's inherently negative. And they're going to be right some of the time, and it's really useful to listen to people like that because they have really legitimate points, and there are things that we have to consider. Um, But the flip side to that is it's hard for me to see when the fundamentals are as strong as they are how we get to some of those more catastrophic situations. Yeah, yeah, but it's definitely good to think about and as someone who's had, you know, health challenges, financial challenges, you know, I had some challenges in 2008 myself. Um, it's just good to keep that perspective just to keep from uh, you uh, know, getting a little I, too, too bullish. I am never, I, I listen, I, the reason I didn't buy anything this year, right? Like uh, last year, tw- 12 months, I, it's been more than, it's like 13 months since I bought my last apartment building. The year before I bought three, right? So like I didn't buy anything because I don't really, I didn't really trust where we are. I still am like hedging a little bit, but I'll buy the right deal if I see it. Um, but what it really comes down to is, um, I believe if you take the right defensive measures and we're in a rising tide situation over the long term, even if, you know, you know, you can have a rising tide, but it's still like it lifts all ships. You might still go down the back end of a wave, but you're still on an upward trajectory over a long period of time. And so for me, I believe that as long as I take defensive measures to make sure I don't get sunk when I go off the back end of the wave, then over time I'm going to be fine. Yeah, that's just dollar cost averaging 101. There was a case study where if you put all your money in the stock market the day before the 1929 crash, it would take you 12 years to break even. But if you put it in in six equal installments before and six equal installments after over the course of whether it's 12 or 18 months, within two years you were break even. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the thing, right? Like, um, you know, you can't predict the black swan events, right? The stock market crash, the COVID pandemic. Cannot predict that. Well, maybe Harry can. I don't know, right? But like, <laughs> but but you know, normal people can't predict those things. Um, but uh, what we can do is we can prepare for stuff as best as possible. And you know, I mean, there are things on the horizon that I think could seriously disrupt the way we live. AI is one, and I don't mean AI like you know chatbots. I don't mean like chat GPT type stuff. I mean like 
sentient machine AI. And I know that sounds crazy sci-fi stuff, but there's going to be a point where the AI is smarter than us. It's going to happen. And when that happens, they could take over the world. Terminator style, I don't actually think that's a big risk because I don't think they have any incentive to do that. But what, 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 they, what will happen is we'll move into a zero employment economy at some point where there's no jobs left for us mere mortals because we're not as smart and we're not as productive and we don't work for free. Uh, that's a real problem, right? Like, like, like we have to figure out how that works. And I looked at that 10 years ago. I was in the trucking industry, um, and, and, you know, we, I had an opportunity to buy out the company that I was at, and I instead decided to walk away and quit my job and just focus on the real estate investing because I realized that, like, in America at least, um, they're going to figure out a way to make sure we have food and water and stuff because they're like there's still a lot of net wealth. Someone's going to own the AI that that produces all the wealth, and they're going to get taxed and they're going to give us vouchers for housing and stuff like that. So I felt like the one thing that couldn't be outsourced was residential housing. Like people need to live somewhere. So I was like, probably the government's going to expand like Section Eight voucher programs and stuff. So as long as I'm cool and I have residential properties that I can rent out, I'll be fine even in a zero employment economy and they'll create some kind of universal basic income. So, you know, people will pay rent and they'll get food and stuff that, that has to happen at some point. It might be 30 years from now, but it might be five years from now. I, I just, I don't know how fast the technology will move. So looking at that, I was like, I need to convert my, I need to focus on that residential housing, particularly workforce housing, um, because that's the kind of thing where like, where the subsidies would kick in the fastest. And then the second thing I thought is, I need to live in a tropical place where if I really don't have a job and I'm just living on universal basic income and someone's paying my rent for me, the government's paying my rent for me, I want to live in a place where I'm happy. So what did I do? I bought a bunch of apartment buildings and I hang out in Puerto Rico all the time and this is where I live. If that universal basic income kicks in and someone's paying my rent, they're paying my rent here. They're not paying my rent in like some, you know, crappy place where I don't want to be in the winter. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've got mixed thoughts on AI. I think in the short term, it may actually help productivity. Of course. And, and you know, every other time, I mean, when they, you know, when the car was invented, they're like, well, what happens to the guy who makes buggy whips? Yeah. And, like every time in the past, innovation is actually, you know, people have adapted. But I think this time, you know, I, I lean more towards your thesis that I think there's at some point just going to be. Well, there's an awesome. event horizon, right? Like so, like you know, in the concept of the black hole, is that the black hole like anything outside of the event horizon we can't observe? Because it's, it's unknowable what will happen inside of a black hole because no information can escape it. That's the problem with AI. It's a singularity point. That's what um, Ray Kurzweil, the futurist, uh, he's now the chief tech officer at Google or whatever. But like Ray Kurzweil would say that all the time. It's like the singularity is approaching. The singularity is when machines are smarter than humans in his mind. But I think there's other singularities too. There's a singularity that occurs when we solve for human agent. What happens then? I don't know. Like, it's too hard to predict. Like, when we eliminate death. Yeah. And that's, I think that's going to happen if we can get ourselves healthy <laughs> in our lifetime. We, we, might live to, we might live to, I really believe the first person to live to a thousand is alive today. I really believe it. It might be two generations below us, but it might be one generation above us. It might be someone in our parents' generation who just happens to be really healthy and lives to 110 and then gets the benefit of, of, of self-replicating nanomachines that repair their DNA and have AI built in that's smarter than them. 
Yeah, I've been doing a deep dive into the health stuff recently too, just given, you know, just trying to get on a health kick and uh, listen to a lot of Rogan. So, um, you know, all these peptides, this is like BPC-157, which apparently they're starting to regulate, but it's supposed to like really do amazing things for the gut biome. Uh, the stem cell stuff that, you know, you can get in Panama, Costa Rica. That yeah, can, and, I mean, listen, and I, 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 um, I'm a big fan of testing. Like, this is my thing. So, like, I, whenever I go to my doctor, I'm like, can I get an MRI? They're like, for what? I'm like, I just want one. Like, you know, like, cause like to me, like, like I want to know about problems so I can fix them. Like I, I haven't gotten too much into the, like, what supplement should I take or what kind of injection should I have? Because uh, there's a lot of, un, there's a lot of lack of clarity in that stuff. Um, there's a lot of bad science out there. There's a lot of good science too. And there's some stuff that's really clear. Like if I could get on metformin right now, I mean, I'm not diabetic, but if, if I could get a doctor to prescribe me metformin, I'd take that. Like fascinating thing. They've been giving metformin to diabetics for 50 years. So there's this huge data set of like, of what the side effects of it are. Right. Um, and what they discovered is that the average diabetic that's given metformin lives 1.2 years longer than someone who's not diabetic. Now, that doesn't sound that significant, but when you consider the fact that the average diabetic who's not giving metformin dies like seven or eight years earlier, it's a significant increase in life expectancy, and they know how it works. It slows your metabolism just a little bit. It makes you feel less hungry, so you get a few less calories, and slowing your metabolism causes you to age slower. I want to take that. I want to age slower. That sounds great. You know, like, but it's not approved for longevity yet. They're doing studies on it now. Like, for the first time, the FDA is actually doing studies. They're allowing for drug companies to do studies on giving, like, metformin to healthy people uh, instead of diabetics. Um, but, but like, that kind of stuff, like, I, I, I'm interested in. But I, I'm, I'm also, like, in spite of my being overweight, I'm ridiculous, and having leukemia, and also having had um, melanoma. So, like, I have, like, some cancer issues that I'll have to continually monitor and, and address. But in spite of all that, like, my blood work's really good. My blood pressure's really good. Like, you know, I, I don't have, like, a lot of the comorbidities that come from those problems. And as a result of that, I feel like I can wait it out a little bit. But, um, but I do need to, like, fix the... The, the health stuff, like get, getting in the gym more, um, losing some pounds. Those things are really good because, like, when I was 400 pounds, I, I was, you know, 35, and I went, you know, I really don't know any, like, 400-pound 50-year-olds. So, like, I need to fix this. And that's what caused me to decide I wanted to take a pretty radical step and do the weight loss surgery. I don't regret it at all because I feel healthier. I am healthier, like my blood pressure normalized, like, you know, all that other stuff that, that I don't have problems with now is a result of losing that weight. So I know if I lose some more weight, it will buy me more time. So that's that's my main thing. Awesome. I, I want to live long enough to live forever. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, when you're in town, let's work together on it. For sure. Find ways to stay active. Um, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got a Facebook group. You've got, uh, I think, your own podcast is relaunching. Tell everybody how to uh, yeah. get a hold of you. Yeah, so I mean, so the podcast is called Last Life Ever. We're, we're relaunching it on February 20. Um, we've recorded several really great episodes, actually, um, and we're really excited about it. We're having a launch party in Chattanooga for that. So if people are in Chattanooga, get into the Last Life Ever private group on Facebook. Just Last Life Ever private group, and uh, and you can get an invite to the party. Um, 
um, and that would be fun. And you're welcome to come if you want. If you I've want to pop over to Chattanooga, yeah, yeah, come on down. Um, and and Jillian's going to be there for that. Jillian Sidoti is my partner on that. She was a securities attorney. She's retired from that now. We started a little mastermind together, so we do a mastermind once a month. It's completely free. Um, and you, if you get into the Facebook group, you can get that information as well. But the easiest way to find me is just to um, go to jeffreyholst.com or at jeffreyholst on any of the socials, like Instagram. Twitter or X, I guess they call it now. Um, Facebook, it's just Jeffrey Holst. It's J E F F R E Y H O L S T. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We'll definitely do this again. And uh, it's really, really great stuff this episode. Yeah, so, thanks for having thanks me. Again. Yeah. Appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there, all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra connected and ultra wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at AlternativeInvestorMastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.